So, hey, I'm just curious, and I may be totally dating myself here, but how many of you guys have seen Napoleon Dynamite? Yes. Show us our picture, because I'm going to tell you a story tonight that kind of reminds you of this scene just a little bit. Um, Does anybody remember this scene in Napoleon Dynamite? So I I think I was in seventh grade the first time I went to a school dance. Anybody go to one of those? Yeah, in junior high? Super awkward, right? Everything about it is super awkward. And, um, you know, it was one of those like school dances where where, like the parents get to chaperone. And so they get to witness all of the awkwardness that is in the room. You know, the the cracking voices, you know, the... um, the, the slow dances where people are like so separated, you could drive a school bus between them, you know, like you, you just, you don't know what to do when you're a guy, you're like, oh, I'm going to touch a girl and it's not because we're playing tag. You just don't know what to do. Um, you know, here's the funny thing. All the guys would stand on one side and all the girls on the other, right? And, and so it's just like the whole night is this whole like awkward, terribly awkward situation that pretty much sums up all of junior high, though, doesn't it, right? <laughs> junior high was just terribly awkward in general. You don't know how to talk to people, don't know how to be friends, don't know how to hang out. Yeah, that was, um, that was, that was like my, I had a girlfriend in, in seventh grade. You know, her name was Shonda. That pretty much defined our whole relationship. We didn't know how to act around each other. You know, we, we just, um, yeah, that was junior high as a whole. He's just awkward. That's all there is to it. Everybody stinks, you know, because... You know, boys are figuring out what daily showers and deodorant are, um, stuff like that. But then you get into high school, you get into college, and you start, you start dating someone. And because you take showers, you know, like you like hanging out near each other. Um, it's not quite as awkward when they sit next to you. And, it, you know, even when you're hanging out with friends, right? So like in junior high, I remember if me and Chanda were together, it was really awkward if any of my other friends were around because we just didn't know how to be friends with anybody and be supposedly boyfriend and girlfriend, right? Like, you don't know how to figure it out. But hopefully you figured this out by now. You're in college, you're dating someone, and, you know, you get to act normal, they act normal, and because you're both normal, you kind of like each other, you know? And so it's, it's a little more easy, you know? But it, it's, it becomes more enjoyable. We'll put it that way, right? And, but the truth is, even if you're dating someone, say, right now, or, you know, in college, then there's still, like, some boundaries to that relationship, Right? Like, it's, it's awesome, it's fun, it's cool to hang around, hang around with them and, you know, be around them even whenever friends are around and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But, but the truth is, you've yet to make the real covenantal promise and say, I do, right? So even though, you know, a dating relationship is great, it, it's still not marriage, is it? And so, one day, My prayer is that every one of you in here one day will get to take the plunge. You'll get to say, I do. You'll get to find that, you know what, every guy in here, you're going to ask a girl to marry you, and she is going to say yes, and it's going to be awesome, and then you're going to, amen, yes, and then you're going to stand up before a guy like me, and you're going to say, I do, to each other, and people are going to be excited about it, and like everyone is going to be so excited about this relationship, they give you gifts, okay? If you don't get married for any other reason, You'll get a lot of cool stuff, man. It's awesome. And then, like, my, you know what? Here's the thing. They don't do this for your prior relationships. Like, when, when I asked Ashley if she would be my girlfriend, nobody gave me gifts. When, I, when she decided to marry me, they showered us with gifts. Tons of cool stuff. And the rest of it we took back for store credit and bought a TV. So, it was awesome. 
You know, because like marriage is awesome, right? And, 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 you know, getting married is awesome. But how many of you know that even though getting married is awesome, being married is way better, right? Like getting married is cool. There's like a day of fun and all this kind of stuff. But being married is way cooler. And I was just kind of thinking about this earlier. Like I get to like cuddle up with my wife and we get to like talk about our day, about intimate stuff. We get to share secrets. We get to share dreams, plans, like stuff we wouldn't tell to anybody else. It's just that we get to be together and discuss like our future together. And, and we, we, you know, the greatest thing about it is that we get to love each other with this Christ-like love. It's, it's not a selfish love, it's a serving love. It's not like a lustful love, but it's a mutually satisfying love. It's a love that says, even when I mess up, okay, just today, I got in trouble because I left um, some clean clothes in the laundry basket, so they got wrinkled, right? And that's like one of my wife's pet peeves, okay? But I totally left the clean laundry in the basket. I got in trouble today. You know what's really cool about that? My wife still loves me, you know? Like, I, I messed up, you know, and, and leaving laundry in a basket is a small thing, right? But even when it's a big thing, like something that I'm really, really ashamed of and something I don't want to tell you about, I can tell my wife about. And guess what? She's not going anywhere. She loves me, right? Because there's like this covenantal promise that we've made with each other. And we love each other with this Christ-like love. She's not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. So there's like this freedom in this marriage relationship that's combined with like this security in a marriage relationship. And the truth is, it doesn't, like that kind of freedom and security isn't found in any other sort of relationship. It's, it's something super special that only comes when you both covenant with each other. And then you get to enter into a relationship where there's true freedom and true security. It definitely didn't exist in my junior high awkward stage, right? It didn't exist in my early college stage, but man, you get to marriage. Something special happens, doesn't it? <clears throat> the beauty of marriage is in the love that's shared between us that mimics the love of God for us. The love that God has for us is a sacrificial love. Like God's love for us, I want the best for Ashley, even if it costs me. It's a love that I don't have to earn, but she freely gives me love, even when I feel like I don't deserve it. And in times when I know I don't deserve it, I still get to fall back on her love. Because my wife loves me so much, I enjoy loving her back. I enjoy doing things for her. I hate anything that comes against her. In the freedom of our love, I don't have to impress her, but I sure do enjoy like trying to impress her. It makes me happy to see her happy. It makes me sad to see her sad because we've covenanted with each other. I love being married. Did you know that in the New Testament there are several scriptures that use the marriage terminology to talk about our relationship with Jesus. Like we as the church are known as the bride of Christ. In fact, in Ephesians 5, we read how husbands should treat their wives and wives should submit to husbands and all this kind of stuff. And really, it all goes back to how Christ treats his bride, us, as the church. Revelation 19, this is um, referencing what we would call the marriage supper of the Lamb. How many of you know that whenever you go to a wedding, there's usually a party afterwards, right? 
This is the party afterwards for Jesus and his bride, which is us. Let us rejoice and be glad and give God glory for the wedding of the Lamb, who is Jesus, has come. And his bride, us, the church, has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. You see, Christ is coming back for a bride who will present herself without spot or wrinkle, according to Ephesians 5.27. She'll be dressed in fine linen, bright and clean, that was given to her to wear by Jesus, which is the picture that we're given in Revelation 19. Now, when I read this, I see Jesus as the groom who will return for his bride, who is us, the church, who has been cleansed by faith. We've been sanctified, we're made holy, we're made blameless, we're forgiven, all this by Jesus. And when Christ returns to take us to heaven, we get to take part in this big party called the marriage supper of the Lamb. In fact, if you were to keep reading in Revelation 19, it would actually say this is the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the big party that goes on when we finally get to be with Jesus forever. And the way that you become a part of the church is to enter into a relationship with Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's the part that makes you Christian. It's the part that makes you saved, a part of the church and and a part of the bride of Christ. And so um, one day, just kind of hinging on this, Nestor and I Went to, went to a local hospital. I got a phone call from, uh, from a friend of mine. We had a mutual, or she had a friend that was in the hospital during the time. And I know some of you have heard this story, but bear with me here. Um, she, uh, she says, hey, I, I got a friend in the hospital. He's on his deathbed. He's not going to make it much longer. His girlfriend's up there with him. And uh, before he dies, they want to get married. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll go visit him. Um, we go up there, we begin to talk to this guy about marriage, we begin to share the gospel with this guy, and, and um, as we're sitting there, him and his girlfriend are in the room, and, you know, I'm talking to him about marriage, and, you know, marriage is, you know, for, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness, health, till death do us part, like, that's a pretty big commitment to make to, to somebody, isn't it? Right? That's not something you take lightly. And so, I, I, like, every time I, I talk to somebody about marriage, I intentionally make it a pretty serious conversation because, well, let's face it, the commitment you're about to make is a pretty serious commitment, right? And so, we turn around and we begin to have this conversation and, and, and I, you know, as, as we're talking about this stuff, they literally start getting into a fight as we're sitting there talking to them about the gospel and about marrying each other. They, they're like, and he's just like dogging on this girl. He's like, she does this and she does that. And she's, you know, hurts me this way and blah, blah, blah and all that. And like, I just stop him. I'm like, hey, hey, whoa. why would you want to marry somebody like that? And he stops and he kind of ponders, you know, for a moment, processing his feelings, thinks about what he's going to say. And he says, because I love her. I said, okay, now you get a picture of the love that Christ has for us. Even though he knows we've hurt him, even though he knows we're not perfect and we're going to mess up, the truth is, 2,000 years ago, Christ walked down an aisle just like this, and he stood at the altar, and he said, I do, and he's just been waiting for us to walk down that aisle and say, I do. The same marriage that guy wanted to enter into that day is the same marriage that Jesus started with us 2,000 years ago. And the whole time, he's just been waiting for us to say, I do. So he completed his marriage vows 2,000 years ago. He, he, he did the for better or for worse. He completed all of his marriage requirements whenever he died on that cross for us. 
He's been standing at the altar ever since waiting for us as his bride to come down the aisle and make the same commitment to him that he's already made to us. That's what the marriage covenant looks like. See, those who have said yes to Jesus, those who have said I do to Jesus, they're going to be a part of the wedding party. They're going to become the bride. They They are the bride of Christ and we will one day be in heaven with Jesus forever. Now, that sounds weird if you're a dude, right? Like, I'm the bride of Christ. You know, but don't worry, ladies. Like, you're called sons a lot in the, you know, in, in the scriptures. Like, if you can be sons, I can be a bride. That's okay, right? So, but, but here's the thing. I say all of that, okay? I, I give you all these little illustrations here just to say, to get you to one big idea tonight. And it's this. If you're saved, if you love Jesus, if you've accepted him, as Lord and Savior, you are the bride of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. And as we kind of continue in our series tonight, um, On Earth as in Heaven, where we're kind of talking about creating a culture and an environment right here in Chi Alpha where things like faith thrive, where the gospel thrives, where people can, can mature in Christ because they're in the right environment that nurtures uh, spiritual growth. We're going to talk tonight about how we, inside of this community, love Christ and hate sin. See, as the bride of Christ, we love Christ and therefore we hate sin. The problem is when we start talking about sin, a lot of people are going to automatically begin to think that we're being like legalistic. Nobody likes to talk about like hating sin these days, right? Like you're supposed to be open to everything. Everything's supposed to be okay. If it's good for me, you should just accept it, right? Stuff like this. But it, in, in, a Christian, in the Christian faith, it just doesn't work that way. And so, we, you know, we have to be careful not to be legalistic or, or religious when we begin to talk about these things. But because the truth is sometimes we want to help people with their faith. We want to help them grow or mature. And so we're real quick to like give them a list of things to do. Or list of things to not do, right? But that's religion, right? Religion's really good at telling you what you should do or what you should not do. That's kind of the opposite of falling in love with Jesus, isn't it? See, it, it like, you have to distinguish the difference between that list being legalistic and religious or being in a relationship with Jesus, See, the way that I read the Bible is that, the, is that true faith is based on a relationship with Jesus, and it's not based on a list of do's and don'ts. In fact, I read that God looks at the heart, while man looks, on, looks at what happening, what's happening on the outside. 1 Chronicles 28, 9. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. Check this out. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. There's no faking it with the Lord, right? There's no doing the list, but your heart's not in it. The Lord can distinguish between those things. The Lord sees the heart while man looks at what's going on outside. See, God isn't, God isn't worried nearly as much about what you're doing as he is why you're doing it. Men judge the ways and means by which you live your life. God looks at the reason and purpose for which you are living. A religious man serves God like taking medicine because he hopes to get something good out of it for himself. The bride of Christ delights in doing God's will because he's in love 
with Christ. Have you ever noticed how somebody who's like, who's accepted this identity as the bride of Christ, like, like they're not trying to impress like the junior high kid, right? Everything's always awkward because you're not sure if you're accepted. You're not sure if they really like you and if you say or do the wrong thing in a dating relationship, they're gone, right? Like the junior high kid or the, the dating kid, he's always trying to impress. And this is the opposite of what we see from someone who has accepted the fact that they are the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ, there's joy in doing what makes Christ happy for that individual. See, what I know is that sometimes it's really hard to show love to the one that you love, Right? Sometimes, like even though we love Jesus, it's hard to walk out loving Jesus sometimes, isn't it? Like, I'm not blind to the fact that, that, that we struggle with sin at times. I'm not blind to the fact that we are tempted, okay? And so, <clears throat> it, sometimes, if we're just being honest, it's terribly hard. But when you're in love, it's worth it, isn't it? And so, I've been reading this book by G.D. Watson. It's called Our Own God. And... In chapter 3 of his book, he, he, entitled, he, he titles the chapter, How Can We Love God? And he describes a few ways that we see love for God carried out biblically. And, and I want to look at a few of these statements, and hopefully you'll recognize where, where, this, uh, where this idea comes from, that when we love God, we hate sin. So Watson writes of a few different kind of loves. He, he, the first one he talks about is called grateful love. And this is a love that's filled with thanksgiving. It, it sees the magnitude of God in a thousand little things that go unnoticed by everyone else who, who have yet to learn to look through the eyes of love. A, a grateful, gratitude-filled thanksgiving to the Lord is a grateful love. He talks about elective love. And elective love works like this. You recognize the superiority of God and how awesome and great God is. And it brings this love in your heart out for the Lord. And at the same time, you begin to feel a contempt for like anything that would try to take the place of God. God is so great. God is so good. He's so awesome. Like I elect him in my heart, right? So Think of a presidential election. You cast your vote for who you want to be there. The election kind of love says, my vote is cast for the Lord, right? I, I love him. He's the best option. He is the, the superior one. He, he, G.D. Watson writes this, it is the elective love by which we dash every idol, snap every tie, turn from any pursuit, break any friendship, spurn any earthly honor or ambition that interferes with the claims of God, and with our loving and obeying him to the other most. This elective love is what pushes us to choose Christ over all other things, and it pushes us away from all things that would keep us from having more of God. <clears throat> he talks about a sympathetic love. This love feels for God. It, it espouses his interest, becoming intensely jealous for God's honor and God's glory. It's, it is this kind of love that sees God ignored and wronged and outraged by the, weak, by the wickedness of men. It, it feels like weeping over the way God is neglected, unloved, unthanked, untrusted, and unappreciated by his own creation. See, I think we can most relate to like sympathetic love when we begin to talk about like somebody being bullied, right? Now, <clears throat> I'm a dad. And, and I've got two little baby girls right now, and I just know that one day I'm probably going to have to deal with this, right? 
and, and my daughters are going to come home and they're going to tell me some story that's going to make me want to punch some third grader in the mouth, right? And, you know, like, why? Because I'm their dad, right? And so, like, anything that hurts them, I'm angry at. You understand? Like, and so, like, I want to see their good. Like, anything that goes against them, I'm against. You see that? And so it kind of works the same way with us and the Lord. Anything that goes against the Lord, we're against. You see what I'm saying? That's, that's what a sympathetic love begins to look at. <clears throat> so whenever it comes to this kind of stuff, uh, my wife and I have this saying around our house. where, like every time something bad happens, say like, um, you know, there, there's... Um, I don't know, something terrible happens, there's a moral failure, there's like, you know, a family torn apart or something like that, something that goes against God's will. We, we have this saying in our house, where we, just, we just say, man, Satan's a jerk. And, and it's kind of that thing that like, you know that Satan tore that marriage apart. And it drives me nuts. My heart hurts for those individuals and my heart hurts for the Lord whenever Satan comes in and destroys something that God so beautifully put together, right? And so it's this idea that we are against the things that the Lord is against. My heart breaks for people, so it makes me mad at the devil when God's will is being broken. And, and man, I get it. You know, sometimes fighting sin can be tough, but it's less tough when you view it through the eyes of love, Right? And so, it's easier to fight sin if you begin to view the effects of sin rightly. Say, I don't cheat on my wife for fear of being caught. I don't cheat on my wife because I love my wife. Right? And so, when, when, okay, I hate pornography because I have two daughters. And I have to imagine that inside of every one of those pornographic images is somebody's son and somebody's daughter. And if we look at it from an ultimate standpoint, those are the Lord's children. And so there's a hatred that literally rises up in me and just, like, it makes me mad at the devil that, that he would take advantage of some, somebody's kids like that. Do you understand? Like this, is, this is the sympathetic love that, that begins to come out of me and... and you know, here's the thing. I, what I know is that if we're just being honest, like I recognize that lust is all over in today's society. It, it, in fact, it's not even considered negative. It's celebrated in so many circles. It's become normal. You hear it in music and movies. And, and I recognize that it's a struggle to stay pure and to avoid lust and sexual sin. And man, some of you in here might just, like you're, you're just getting really tired of fighting it. it. Maybe you've even given up hope. I want to encourage you tonight to stop fighting the sin and start loving Jesus more. <clears throat> Winky Pratney, he's kind of a, one of our heroes of the faith. Um, he might actually be at salt, by the way, just so you guys are aware. Um, he says this. He says, duty cannot carry you in the day of battle. Only love can do that. Duty cannot carry you in the day of battle. Only love can do that. What he's saying there is literally a person will do things for love that they would never do for simple duty or instruction or just because they're supposed to. 
People will do things for love that they wouldn't do for anything else. Now consider this. Christianity is a love relationship. Christianity is meant to be a love for relationship. And it's that love for Christ that ends up pulling us away from sin. So when your life group leader talks to you about cleaning up sin in your life, it's because their sympathetic love for Jesus wants you to fall in love with Jesus too. When the Holy Spirit begins revealing things in your life that that you need to let go of, your elective love will push you to choose Jesus over that thing. And then one day when you find yourself so in love with God that nothing else on this earth like seems to be as impressive or exciting or, or as praiseworthy as God is, you get, and you give your whole life over to him because he, he, he deserves it. Watson calls that an adoring love. It's kind of like all of these forms of love wrapped up into one where we simply adore the Lord. We love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love who he is. We're enamored by him. We're excited to be with him. Now, a little bit earlier, we kind of talked about, you know, junior high relationships and how, you know, I love being married. But let me ask you a question. Can, Can you imagine how awkward life would be if, like, even after you were married, you just stayed in, like, the junior high stage of your relationship? Like, two people get married to, like, I do, but they think it's awkward to hold hands, you know? <laughs> like, you know, like you wouldn't, you, you get married, and you don't, you can't even get a one-bedroom apartment. You got to get two, you know, because you're still junior high, right? But like, they would just constantly be worried about impressing each other all the time, right? Because that's what you do in junior high, right? Your voice cracks every time you try to say hi, because you're not sure how they're going to react, you know? They would just be worried about impressing their spouse instead of having fun with their spouse. The truth is, that's not marriage. And it's not fun. Yet, that's exactly how I see so many Christians acting when it comes to them being the bride of Christ. They never step into the security and the freedom that is found in having a covenant relationship with the Lord. So, here's my challenge tonight. We said, we love God and therefore we hate sin. But religion says, you need to hate sin to prove your love for God. Do you see how that's exactly opposite of what we've been talking about? Here's my challenge tonight. Don't act out of the need to prove yourself to the Lord. Or to prove your love for the Lord. Quit trying to earn love from God by not sinning. That's exactly opposite of what we're trying to get at. We love God and therefore we hate sin. But if we're just being honest, some of us get stuck in a dating relationship with the Lord. But what I read in the Bible is that Jesus is returning for a bride, not a girlfriend. And when you said, I do to Jesus, you became the bride of Christ. The one that entered into covenant with him, and he entered into covenant with you. And that's a beautiful relationship to be in. That's the kind of relationship where we love God and therefore hate sin. See, if you're saved in here tonight, you have a freedom and a security and a love of Christ that says that Jesus will never leave you, he'll never forsake you. When your relationship with him is better, he's there. 
When it's worse, he's there. You didn't buy his love so he doesn't care that you're a broke college student. (laughs) And he won't care one day when you're rich either. It says you didn't do anything to earn his love so you can't do anything to lose his love. In this freedom and security we live our lives with, knowing that we're the bride of Christ. Like this, Do you see the freedom and the security that comes from being the bride of Christ? Instead of just dating Christ? That he loves you no matter what. At your best, he loves you. At your worst, he still loves you. When you don't feel like it, he still loves you. When you know you don't deserve his love. He still loves you. So here's my challenge tonight. You are the bride of Christ. Act like it. Act like it. See, if I were to go up to any one of you tonight, if you're a man and I'd say, hey, you're a husband of so-and-so, you would automatically begin to think of the things in your life that need to change, that need to, need to line up with your identity as a husband. Every one of you women, if I were to say you were the bride of someone, you would immediately begin to think differently. You'd begin to think of yourself as the wife of so-and-so. And things in your life would, would be expected to, to line up accordingly, right? Every one of us in here, if you're saved, if you're in love with Jesus, if he's your Lord and Savior, you are the bride of Christ. It's time to start acting like it. That's where we get this idea that we love God and therefore we hate sin. It's not the other way around. Now, for those of you maybe don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, we would say this, Lord means he's king, Savior means you don't get to heaven without him. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus is the one that lived a perfect life died on a cross, and three days later rose again. He's now in heaven with God, the Creator, the Father. And one day, if He is our Lord and Savior, He will come back to get us as His bride. We will go to heaven with Him forever. If He is Lord and Savior. So some of you tonight, maybe, man, I don't know, you can be in church your entire life and never fall in love with Jesus. Maybe some of you tonight, you just never heard it put that way. You didn't know that loving Jesus was ever a thing. I want to invite you tonight to make a decision. To love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The Bible says this. You need forgiveness. Confess your sin. Here's literally what that looks like. Lord, I am messed up. I have sinned against you. I have done things I know aren't right. You ask for forgiveness. He is faithful and just to forgive you. Of your sins. You get to enter into a relationship. With the living God. Maybe tonight is the night. That you walk the aisle. And say I do to Jesus. He's been standing there for 2,000 years. Waiting on you to make that decision. So let me pray for you guys tonight.